Hey everyone, this is Christopher Luxon, the former CEO of Air New Zealand. This is John Lee Dumas, the founder and host of Entrepreneurs on Fire. This is Tracy Ibarra. I'm an executive solutions at Dell Technologies. This is Travis Chappell, founder of Build Your Network. If you are wanting to learn how to embrace change, to navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, my very good friend, Dennis Giannoutsos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsos. Yes, certainly. Look, I'm a Kiwi, as um, it's already been stated, and um, really had a career in sales and marketing for 30-odd years, um, working both in New Zealand, Australia, and Singapore. But we have a real passion for growing brands, growing businesses, developing people, and worked across you know, different industries, mainly in FMCG and alcohol, but are a number of different companies, seeing different cultures, whether they're a New Zealand-based company or a multinational and things like that, which gives you a great perspective on how different companies operate and you know, how the cultures work within them. And when you say about the cultures, how does, does leadership differ in, in the different cultures that you're talking about? I think it does to some degree. If I just take most recently, I guess, the experience I had in Singapore, where I was working really for a strategic alliance between two companies. One was a large Kiwi company, and the other was a company that was headquartered out of the US. And the leadership that you saw in both of those organizations was quite different. And I think it's driven to a certain extent by the culture of the company, but also the culture of where the companies come from. The American company in this instance, had much more hierarchy and much more structure and discipline, where naturally as Kiwis, we're much more egalitarian, I guess. And it's much more fluid. You know, people talk to all sorts of people in the organisation and there's not a structured sort of way of communicating up and down through the organisation. It's much more fluid. So you have to adapt your style for each of those different types of cultures, really, I think. Mm, So know your audience and know who's in front of you all the time so then you can adapt appropriately for that audience, wherever you are in the world. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. And so, Claire, here, the question I've got here for you is, um, who's your favorite leader? Now, this person could be alive or they could be from history. So who's your favorite leader and why? Nelson Mandela. I guess I was, you know, of that age where we grew up through apartheid and then Nelson Mandela coming through. And I think the compassion that the man showed and demonstrated, having been locked up in jail for numerous years, and coming out and uniting a country, I think was quite phenomenal. The fact that he was able to leave any bitterness behind and really had a vision for what he wanted South Africa to be and the way he went about it. And I think one of the things that really stuck in my mind the most with Nelson Mandela, I think, was, was the Rugby World Cup, I think, 1995, where the All Blacks actually lost to South Africa, which um, is something we as Kiwis hate. But the presence that he showed and his involvement in that game, embracing, I guess, what in South Africa, it was white elitist sort of sport, but yet he used that as a, as a gesture, as a visual cue to help unite that country. And I think it made a massive difference. And I think, you know, those vis- leadership, 
you know, a lot of it is what we say and all that sort of thing. But those visual cues of, you know, you could say today wearing a mask or not wearing a mask or, you know, coming out and standing on a rugby field, which was totally foreign to him, made a massive difference. So, look, I just think, you know, he certainly inspired me and, you know, I've read a lot of his, his book and things like that. And it's just amazing what he achieved. Yeah, and I think there's a film out there. I think it's called Invictus. Is there Invictus? Uh, it's an amazing movie. The rugby and it's terrible, but the the movie. And actually, at the end of it, I remember saying to my husband, "If we had to lose a game of rugby, this is the one that perhaps was perhaps better for the world, not so good for Kiwis, but better for the world that we lost that game." Yeah, and I think there's some great messaging, as you say, in that in that movie um, about what he shared and what he wanted to do. And if you haven't checked that out, listeners, uh, check out that film Invictus. Great movie around messaging around leadership. And I think, you know, what Claire's just said there about the, his presence and embracing it, but um, having a vision, right? So having a vision for the country, but using the sporting field or the sporting event as a way to actually help the whole country embrace and unite together was fantastic. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I, think, I think it's a great, great option that you've well, selection you just made there. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, um, the show here is called Leadership is Changing. And when I say that statement, uh, what does that mean for you? Yeah, I, I thought about this quite a bit, and I think it's a really interesting question. I think leadership is changing, sometimes for the better and sometimes not, I think. But I think what's impacting it is the speed of which things is happening, the ambiguity that we've got to deal with in our lives and in the world, the amount of information that's available. There's information available, but quite often not insight coming out of that. Um, and then juggling those numerous balls in the air means that leadership needs to constantly evolve. And if if you sort of step back and go, well, what are the big chunks of work that a leader should do? You know, to me, I sort of divide it into four buckets. You know, one bucket is really around the long-term vision, where a business is heading, what's what's happening. The second bucket is really around, you know, the operational day-to-day, are you, we delivering the results and things like that. So that's sort of the business half. And then the other half is, sort of third bucket is your people and your team and the people around you and how do you inspire and mentor and develop that team. And then the last bucket is yourself, which is usually the bucket that gets squeezed if everything else is, you know, putting pressure on you. But I think it is juggling all of those sort of buckets. But I think as we move into agile teams and all of these sort of things, the need to sort of have a vision is really, really important because you've got teams working on different things. But also increasingly, I think, you know, skills around persuasion and things like that are becoming and influence are becoming more important as, you know, lines of authority and that are sort of changing within organizations. So I think it, it is going through quite an evolution. And, you know, some, t- some companies you see are really embracing that agile way of working, which is a huge, you know, new learning curve for leaders to operate within those sort of environments. And at the same time, obviously, with COVID going on, people working from home and, you know, different working environments is driving a lot of change. And how do you ensure that you are getting the outcomes that you require, you know, from your teams and from the, for the business when everyone is working remotely? Yeah, great. So four buckets. One would be the long-term vision. Number two is the day-to-day operations. Number three would be people in the teams. And number four would be yourself. And that number four, clear that yourself, that I think, as you said, you know, we tend to sort of, if we run out of time or that, we sort of give that one a little bit less attention. Do you think that we should be giving that probably more attention, that, that, that one in particular? And, and what do you think we might need to do to look after ourselves? 
Look, I think, yeah, you, we do need to give that one more attention. Well, I, I guess some people do it better. I, I'm not good. I tend to squeeze that and give more time to the other things. But unless you're in top performance, you're, you know, you're clear in your thought, your, your brain's working well, you're fit, you're healthy, you're not, at, you know, you're continuing to develop and educate yourself. You're not going to give your best to the other three buckets, but it is the one that does get compromised. And I, I think too, in big organizations, you can get very hooked up in the day-to-day and be on sort of a treadmill like a mouse running around, um, sort of going to meetings and, and doing everything else and actually just taking some time out and thinking about what you want to achieve in the next year, in the next 90 days. You know, have you got the right team? You actually need to create space to get your thinking straight in a lot of instances because otherwise you just get on this treadmill of surviving. Well, I started life straight from university into a company called Reckitt and Coleman, which I think is relatively well-known worldwide. And I ended up being the CEO of Reckitt and Coleman for seven years. And then I joined a number of different boards in different positions. Uh, many companies you'd know, Zurich, very big insurance company, Pearson, the owners of Financial Times, Addison Wesley Longman. I was on the board. I was chairman of Theomanish, which is one of the leading suppliers of fragrances in the world, Gala, various other companies such as Cofra, which is a very big European company. And I'm now and have been for some time on the board of Atos. Atos is a very significant European IT company, mm-hmm. right in the middle of everything that's happening on, on the IT side. So it's a very exciting place to be. I've been there about 12 years, chairman of the audit committee, and I work very, very closely with the chairman and the CEO. And I've been extremely happy with the very, very rapid and massive change that's taken place in that company. So I, to me, it's a great delight to be there. It's, although people call it work, I don't call it work because I enjoy what I do so much. I'm also an author. So I've written two books. And as a result of those, I do a lot of counseling and help people to make changes in their life and to look at their own leadership style very differently. And I have a coaching company, which I set up a few years back, which uh, also supports that. So essentially, my role is strategy, bringing people together and helping people to find really who they really are in their leadership style. Awesome. And I see the two books are uh, The Stairway to happiness, and then also you co-authored another one, I think, by the, well, by the looks of it's The Way, Finding Peace in Turbulent Times. Is that right? That, that, that's absolutely right. And yep. the second one, The Way, Finding Peace, if, on page four, we talk about a pandemic, and this was written way before. Wow. But it's, no, but it's no accident because what's happening in the world and what needs to be done to rectify it was, was very obvious. I mean, the writing's been on the, world, on, on the walls for a very long time, and all we were doing was looking at the trends and saying, why is this happening? How can we change it? What do we need to do? And it's quite radical. And obviously that affects the way what we are exposing in these two books. A different style of leadership is, is what we do ourselves. And that is how I behave in the corporations I'm associated with. And that is, so what we say we should do is what we, we actually ourselves do. Yeah. And as a result, and, and we see the results. And so we, we really are, are judged by um, the results that we get. Amazing. And, and tell me, you know, with, uh, with uh, organizations that you've been working with in the sense of boards and chairs and things like that, organizations, how do, how do they plan for something like these, this pandemic happening? Well, 
Well, what do they do? Well, I think the answer is you can't plan. And I think one of the big issues that we have is we try to control everything. But human being likes to control everything, hates insecurity. Mm. Well, with COVID-19, all that's out of a window. You, you cannot plan. You cannot get security. And so this desire, this grasping at control, I must control everything. I must be in charge of everything, is actually a source of anxiety and stress and suffering. Right. The way to actually see that is not that it's a problem, but it's actually an opportunity. Right. I encourage people to be insecure. I encourage them to not be in control. Because when you realize that the world is transient, that everything is passing and happening all the time, and you see that as something exciting and an opportunity for shifting and change, you say, great. So when people say, oh my goodness, what am I going to do now? This is all happening to me. And we say, well, well, well that's opening up so many opportunities. It's great. All right. So it's the exact opposite of a normal condition. Most people want safety, they want security. And I said, no, security is actually really detrimental to your ability to be flexible, your ability to react. What you want is to to welcome this change because change is permanent. It's always going to be there. And Mm. so this is an opportunity to realize the impermanence of life. And, And if you take any Buddhist principles, you realize that not understanding that is the source of major suffering and anxiety. So the high levels of stress we see around us are because people are saying, I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know if I'm going to keep my job. I don't know what's going to happen with COVID-19. I don't know. And, and to them, this is, I can't grasp hold of my life. And I say to them, don't try, because that is the cause of your anxiety. Yes. View it as an opportunity. And then you'll find you're going to take much better decisions. Great. And then, you know, that's that's the exciting part from what you're sharing is that, yes, I mean, a lot of people who do have that anxiety and so forth, because as you say, they can't control it and they're trying to. However, on the other side, as you're saying, which is the exciting piece, is that there is lots of opportunities there. And so you're encouraging people to be insecure. I, I love that. I think that's fantastic. Well, thank you. Yes. Well, I mean, in our, in our work, you see, I mean, obviously I'm in a company, I'm in IT. So as soon as you're in IT, you are in massive change all the time. So, so it is endemic to you. But what it's done is the COVID-19 implications has caused such disruption, but it's, it's allowed people actually to open their minds a little bit mm. and to be a little bit more receptive because they're lost. So they say, I don't know what to do. I don't know where I am. And you say, well, let's have a look at this thing differently. And they're much more willing to listen yes. because they don't know the answer. And I don't know the answers either. Of course not. However, I enjoy the fact that I don't know the answers because it gives us an opportunity to explore them openly. Yes. And that exploration allows you to actually see things differently. No. So one of the I mean, number of phrases, phrases we use all the time is one is leadership shows up in the inspired actions of others. So for leaders to be true leaders, they need to inspire others. And the second is when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Nice. Yep. Which is linked to quantum, quantum physics, as we're saying, because when you look at a piece of an electron or whatever, it actually shifts. It, it, is, it isn't what you're looking at. Yes. And that's the same. When you change your, percep- your perspective of something, you find that that thing itself has now shifted. And that's wonderful. That's just a beautiful way of looking at the world. Yeah, and I think you know that the, the beautiful thing you're just saying there is about being able to shift and shift your thinking, shift everything. And probably one thing I picked up from what you just said there as well, I mean, there's lots of things you just said, but I think the thing is actually 
stopping, just stepping back a bit to think. And, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Creating time. Yeah. Cool, and nice. that's one of the, that's one of the really important things. People keep saying to me, I have no time. I have no time to meditate. You know, so I say, you'll need about 20 minutes to meditate. I haven't got that. I said, well, in that case, you better have two hours to meditate. You're going to need more time. Yeah. Because we can always create time. If we just look at what we're doing, charging about this and the other and panicking like crazy, we're using energy on stuff which is actually of no value. So we're either worried about the past. What did I do yesterday? How's it going? Or we're worried about future. How's it going to go? You know, how's this interview going to go? And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's just being a moment. Yes. Being a present moment. Nice. Be now. Enjoy what you're doing. And if you enjoy with enthusiasm everything you do, you're in the present moment. There is no stress. So you and I are chatting now. And what's missing? What's missing, Dennis? Nothing. Nothing's missing. <laughs> I don't need anything. I don't want anything. No. I'm actually, I'm thoroughly enjoying being with you. Yes. It's a wonderful place to be. And I don't need that. And that relaxation, that ability to actually not be stressed allows you to then think clearly, think carefully, think about people, think compassionately and think, what is it? How can we inspire people? How can we bring people together? How can we can get, get consensus? How can we do all the things at work? And we're not going to do it as leaders. We, there's no way, right? So many times people come to me and they say, what should I do? And I say, I have no idea. And they say, what do you mean? Uh, I said, well, I have no idea. Uh, why are you surprised? And they said, well, you've got all these titles. I said, I don't need them. They're just titles. They're words, right? Yeah. And they say, oh, oh. And then I say to them, what do you think we should do? And then they say, well, maybe, maybe I should talk to George about this or maybe... Maybe Fred could have, maybe we should get a meeting together. Maybe we should put a project. I say, hey, great. Here you go. <laughs> great. You know, wonderful. Yeah. Is there any way I can help you? Yes. And, and, I, and, and I noticed it's that. It's totally different. It's a totally different conversation. Yes, absolutely. And I was going to say that I, I, from what you're saying there, I mean, a lot of people, I think, come to, to coaches, come to people, go to their leaders wanting the answer. And the answer is normally lying within them. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 